Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Yeah, I know. What a bugger. Hopefully, it's not COVID, hopefully. Nick's, Nick's got, Nick's got COVID. <laughs> oh, God. Terrible way to start the show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Woke Blogs podcast. Exclusive breaking news, Nick has COVID. No, no, he doesn't really. He, uh, uh, Nick is off sick today. He had a big week. He had a big week with clients and um, he was feeling pretty drained and said he wouldn't be too much use today. And I've been there before, so I, uh, I completely understand. So it's not just me rambling on today, as much as I'm sure the listeners would enjoy that. We have a special guest today uh, who has been on the show before, Tom O'Hearn. Tom, how are you, mate? Oh, mate, very well. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. This is uh, It's always a pleasure chatting with you, mate. Always, mate. And I'm excited today because uh, it's an exciting time for you with the release of your new book, your second book. When was it officially released? Was it yesterday? Yeah, yeah. Officially released uh, yesterday. So the audio version uh, should be out hopefully within the month. And I think COVID's kind of put that back a little bit to so maybe two months there, but it's every, it's ready to be distributed. But paperback and Kindle, um, it's, uh, it's ready to go. So, Are you doing the audio version yourself? Always, mate. I love Always. doing that. You love doing it. I do. I do. It's it's a slow, arduous process, but I because I self-publish because um, then I can get all the rights and you know do all the editing myself without anyone interfering. I, I really prefer it that way. Um, and uh, when I do the audio version, it's normally like the third or fourth edit, normally the final edit for the book. So I kind of read through the book as a as a final kind of. I missed anything if I spelt things incorrectly there, and also just to to measure the flow and the coherence of the, of the words as well. Um, so yeah, it's a very slow, arduous process, but it adds to that authenticity as well. When people listen to it, you know, they, they want to hear as I do when I listen to audiobooks. um, they want to hear the, the author. So yeah. Yeah. I, I find that as well. I find it a little bit funny where it's not the author and, and especially if I know the author and the way that they speak, if it's a new author and I don't know their voice, it's not so bad. Um, but yeah. otherwise, yeah, it, it's a bit interesting, but that's good. You got a good attitude. A lot of people that I've heard who have to do the audio version of their book, describe it as a like pulling teeth. Dude, it, it, it is. It's very, I, I totally understand that this book. So We'll get into it, but this this book is actually now three. So there's a there's a there's a, a third and a fourth book now, which are ready for release as well. Um, but it was two hundred thousand words initially, and I've now punched it down to one hundred twenty five. Um, <laughs> and so it was a lot. It was a hell of a lot of writing there. Um, but even one hundred twenty five thousand. My first book was about seventy thousand, and that took a long time of the editing. Uh, the second book going through the audio version was just hours and hours of every night. And it's the little things with audio because I don't have a professional setup and soundproofing. So you've got to wait. You can do it either very early in the morning or very late at night. You've got to put heaps of furniture in your room to just deaden the sound in there. You've got to make sure that you're only recording in between cars going past your house. So it's, (laughs) it's, you can get very, it's a really great meditative practice because you can just get so fucking angry whilst you're doing it. Plus, you have to get all the words right. Like even Melissa's going through; she hasn't started yet, but she's going to do an audio version of her book. I think she might have been chatting to you about it um, to get some tips. And you know, when we're in Chiang Mai, she was like, "Oh yeah, I'll just um, I'll just start doing it. I'll just start banging it out." And I'm like, "Babe, I don't think it's that easy." And she's like, "Oh, I'll find. You know, there might be a recording studio here in Chiang Mai, and I'll just knock it out in a day." And I'm like, "Get the book." And start reading it to me and see how, how fluently you can read every word correctly. And like, you know, two sentences in, oh, I stumble over a word. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Start the whole thing again. <laughs> it's like, it's just, uh, it's, it sounds like I just read my book, but it's like, it's not that, not that easy. No, like, like the amount of times I'll cough or burp or just screw <laughs> up words. There are sometimes I'm like screwing up the, the same word three times in a row. And it's just, it's just insane. Like it, on, you know, pardon the pun on a page, it sounds really simple, you know, but it's just constantly screwing things up. And then you start to get tired. It's, oh, it's, it's unbelievable. You would but get mental fatigue, but plus, you, yeah. plus, you, plus you're like, why can't I get this word right? I fucking wrote yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Tom, uh, um, what? <laughs> Tim O'Brien. <laughs> oh shit. Funny, funny. Well, let's jump into it and start talking about the book. And I maybe want to talk about before the release of this book, the book is called, but you never left. The subtitle, which I love, Exploration of the Inner World and the Reconciliation of the Self. Whoa. Mm. 
That's that's <laughs> that's deep. <laughs> I love that. I love that a lot. Um, your first book was called Yes, I'm Fine, Just Tired. I thought we'd kick off the show by talking about, tell us just a, a, a little bit about that first book um, and what that was about. And then also the transition for you as a human being from that first book to now writing the second book, the kind of the evolution that you've gone through through this writing process. Yeah, sure, mate. Sure. Um, yeah. So look, the, the first book was just a way to kind of uh, package my childhood up to early adulthood into in, into a narrative that kind of fit who I was and who I was becoming. I think there were, you know, like all of us, there are the moment, moments from the past that, you know, still kind of carry that emotional distress and emotional weight. And I, I hit a point in my life, 2014. So I was, I was young. I was 21 at the time. And, uh, you know, I was getting lots of anxiety. I was going through obsessive compulsive disorder issues and, you know, just my, my mind kind of took a, a switch, you know, and I, I walked down a path that I wasn't ready for. And, um, you know, it wasn't anything acutely traumatic that, that resulted in all of that. It was just kind of having too much time on my hands, things changing me, moving out of school. So I'm much more, you know, supposed to be a hell of a lot more independent and, you know, I'm just becoming an adult, that, that classic transition so my first book was just a way for me to go back and try to figure out who I was. And, um, so that was a, that was a really important thing for me. And as well, I've, I've been writing my whole life. I've, I, I love to write. My dad's a writer and very inspired by, you know, his books. He's a fiction writer actually. So I was writing all these journals at the time and moving through 2014. So I thought it would just be a really nice thing to do to package them together chronologically and kind of, look back on my life and go that oh, that's how I've become the man I am today. So that was really good. And, um, you know, going, writing my first book was always really fun and, and that kind of thing. So I got that out there and, you know, just when you feel like, you know, who you are, life does that too. And you kind of just get bowled over again. So I, I'd always been very, I suppose, unconsciously attached to this idea of, of either being or wanting to be an athlete. So you know, from a very early age, it was football. Uh, in my first book, I wrote about when I was cut from trying to make it to the VFL that rocked my world because it was an, an, an identity detachment that I didn't really want, you know? So that's always very difficult because the mind struggles in a void and it has to cling to something, you know? Uh, so, so there was that. And then, you know, if it couldn't have been AFL, it became CrossFit. And when it couldn't be, you know, it couldn't be CrossFit because I had uh, a knee issue, uh, I, I didn't really know who I was. And this was at the time when my partner and I were traveling. So we, we, we lived in Bali for a couple of months then Scotland and France for a couple of months. So it almost felt to me like life was making sure that I, I wouldn't be someone known for his athletic ability. And that was, you know, it sounds very, you know, it's very simple on a, on a page, but when you're so attached to this idea of, of who you are is, is represented by what you can do, um, you know, in, in a sporting context and to have that taken away was, was really, really difficult for me. And I, I kind of, I started to develop a whole lot of existential pain and all these questions, you know, these very, very deep questions started to bubble up. Who am I, you know, and, and when you don't, when you don't have a, a response to that, all sorts of things come up from the unconscious, you know, well, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. And there was a lot of things there that kind of went against my values. So I suppose the, the context for me writing this second book, but you never left. And I'll tell you why I called it like that in the end. Um, was, was trying to understand who I was. And I was reading a hell of a lot of spiritual books. The Bhagavad Gita is a really important one for me to read at the time as well about how human beings find themselves, you know, and, you know, sense of purpose, a sense of meaning and all that kind of thing. And I felt like I was going through a massive change and a massive transition. But the irony was that by the end of my writing the book, I figured out that all I really had to do was, was, was accept who I was. So I never really changed at all. So that's why I called it, but you never left because if only I could have known that from the beginning that you don't actually have to go on this big spiritual journey, you know um, it's actually just coming back to complete self-acceptance. And I'll finish this, this anecdote by um, talking about one of my favorite quotes that I, that I got from uh, Ram Dass's first book being here now, it's just a little quote. And it said, uh, the way for spiritual enlightenment as a process, of course, is quit this world, quit the next world, and then quit quitting. And that was very, very applicable for my journey. So that's, that's the journey. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it raises an interesting question. There's a couple of things that you said there. And number one is, you know, these identity structures that we build around ourselves. And I see it a lot with with basically all clients, but I have seen it so many times with males who've identified as, you know, this dream of whether it's AFL or I'm going to play cricket or I'm going to play basketball or whatever reason, then injuries or different circumstances bring that down. It's like we spend these early years of our life creating an identity structure. And so now we have this, this psyche, which, which is a structure and it's built of all these different parts. And all of a sudden an athlete is kind of the main part of that structure. And if that part gets taken away, the whole structure's in danger of falling down. And that gets very, very scary for people because when people say like, who am I? And I love that question. When I hear that question, you know, 10 years ago, if I asked myself that question and I didn't know, I'd freak out. Ask that question now, who am I? I'm like, I don't know. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it feels great, you know? But a lot of people struggle with this because we have these um, strong identifications and it can happen with um, people who are ill as well, you know? So, so if someone has depression or anxiety as part of their identity structure, you've really got to work on being able to loosen that because that becomes then very hard to let go of. Because so this, this, we become very hooked on our, on our psyche and these things that we've built up over time. And just another mm. thing that you said as well was, you know, you, you didn't have to maybe go on this whole j- spiritual journey to work out that you just had to accept yourself as you were. I would slightly disagree. And I think you did. I think that we all, you know, would you agree? I think that we all, it's such like, how simple is that statement? Just completely yes. and utterly accept myself for who I am as a flawed human being, like everybody else is. It sounds easy, but I was like, I think we have to go on this journey for mm. that simple sentence to land on, on yes. a very deep somatic level. Yeah, it's, it, it's so true. And, you know, I, I, I uh, was, was, was struggling with these ideas of how to tr- find a purpose and find a meaning. I was watching so many YouTube videos of like how to find your passion and all this kind of thing. And I, I'm writing, you know, and you start, you, you start writing the conclusion, you get to the second, third, fourth edit, fourth edit, and you start to read back and all the shit that you're writing. And you're like, man, like that, like, like what, you know, Obviously, you, you couldn't have figured that out unless you went on the journey, as you say, but you, you come back. It's like you just go on this big walk around the block and you come home and you're like, oh, this is where I need to be. You know, but in the beginning, you're like, this is definitely not where I need to be right now. I need to leave really fast. <laughs> so it's very, it's a wonderful, it's a beautiful paradox, all that kind of stuff. And there are so many books out there that talk about the same thing. I was just, by the end of it, it was a real cliche, but a beautiful cliche. You know, you read The Alchemist and you're like, oh, that's a lovely book. And then you read The Alchemist again as an adult. You're like, oh, that's a brilliant book. You know, yeah. or the, the Way of the Peaceful Warrior, all these things and the classic hero's journey, as you said before the show. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it sounds like, you know, that hero's journey. I'd like to know mm-hmm. maybe then this, because uh, I think you maybe descri- described yourself in the past, maybe around the time of writing your first book as an atheist and, mm-hmm. you know, going down the path of, path of researching, you know, Dawkins and Sam Harris and Hitchens and all these kind of people. Um let me know about maybe that evolution of being a hardcore atheist and where you sit on all that now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good, good question. Um, not because I necessarily have a good answer for it, but because I just, I just feel like I'm much happier living with doubt and living with not knowing, you know, and for me, atheism was a real mask for fear because I was still so terrified of this, this Catholic idea of hell and eternal suffering, you know? So becoming an atheist was my shield against that. And then every time anything spiritual or religious would come up and like, well, you know, page 23 of the, you know, God is not great. You know, it was just, it was such a deflection and, and an armor against that, you know, but it, it's a, it's a, I mean, the, the whole God religion question is, is a beautiful, wonderful philosophical topic that people have dedicated their lives to, you know, and, some of the stuff that I was talking about in this book was that, you know, the, the, the atheists, and I think they're necessary, you know, view God as this kind of objective supernatural thing, which I think is important to evolve from, you know, we don't want to live with that kind of, there is a, a heaven up there. And if you're a good person, you know, that, that kind of stuff, you know, I don't think needs to be around as much anymore. It provides, well, I mean, you could argue that it provides, warmth and comfort for other people. But I think they're getting a lot of from those classic human connection type things as well. And being part of a group and having a, um, a similar ideology, you know, all that kind of stuff. Do you think it, do you think it discredits our human experience a little bit to say that the, the, the goal is after this life? 
you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, almost by definition, it takes away from the present moment, you know, and, and some of what I love about some of the Eastern teachings is that, you know, they don't necessarily view heaven and God as this thing after, but actually this eternal place that can be entered into right now, you know, that starts straight from the power of now, that kind of stuff. So, I think um, those kind of religious stories, these, the, you know, the parables, they have a really great way of showing us how to live and how to behave. And, and you know, the, the issue between science and religion, I suppose, or science and spirituality, I guess, is science is, you know, what is, you know, what can be objectified and measured and, and, and spirituality is how to be and how to live and morality and meaning. So though, I think that's where the, the basic arguments between those two fields lie. But in terms of, me and how I, you know, see my own spirituality and God, I just like, I'm, I'm so much happier to recognize my own ignorance as a funny little chimp that wears shoes, you know? So I'm happy to kind of like live in that zone because I just have no idea when it comes to God and all that kind of stuff. But spirituality for me is that kind of connection to self and then obviously connection to other as a result. So it's spirituality has been really, really important for me in um, kind of finding myself in inverted commas. <laughs> What's going on? It sounds to me like you found this balance, you know, and this is what mm. we do as human beings. We really, we swing from, it's like we're down one end of the seesaw and we're like, hey, this isn't working. This idea of heaven and hell and of, I've got to, you know, um, I feel all this shame for things that I might have or haven't done because that's going to result in me going to hell. And I'm like, I don't like this because I feel crap. Then we go to the mm. other end of the seesaw. It's like, now I'm an atheist and I'm protected from yeah. all that. And I've got all the, I can reference these books and everything. And then we kind of come back and we find our own level and that's different for everyone, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. Really, really interesting. And I love how you put the, at the start of the introduction, the Bill Hicks quote, which uh, if listeners of the show know that me and me and Nick bang on about tool all the time. Tool is my favorite band. And uh, at the start right, of this, at the start of their song, third eye, the Bill Hicks comment, just let me bring it up here. I should know it off the top. Yeah. Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration that we are all one consciousness experiencing it's experiencing itself subjectively. There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream and we are the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. It's funny how it's here's Tom with the weather too. I know. <laughs> in the book, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, um, yeah, okay. So it sounds like there's been quite an evolution between your, your, your first and second book here. And I think that um, I'd like to touch on your book is broken up into three parts. Yeah. And I'd like to maybe just, you know, touch on each of those. Find your stream is part one. Row your boat is part two. And life's a dream is part three. But maybe even we can speak about the, the origins of, of why the, why the parts are split up into that. I believe it came from a chat with a friend at uh, a CrossFit. Yes, absolutely, mate. That's uh, I'm very humbled that you, you've um, had a look at the book. That's, that's really humbling. I really appreciate that. Um, it did. It did. It was uh, a friend of mine, Nick, who actually uh, founded Beyond Rest, which is the flotation tanks um, in Melbourne, oh, Australia. really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was on one of their first promotional videos, like, Five years ago, when I first got into float therapy, um, yeah, uh, in Paran, I think it was their first one, maybe. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm, I've met Nick. Oh, how how interesting! Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's crazy small world, but he he's such a legend, man. I, I love that guy so much, and I met him because I was coaching him at CrossFit Balaclava, and uh, you know he is this really really tall, friendly giant, and there's a real lovely kind of energy about this guy. He just seems so balanced, but so deep and. He's got a beautiful uh, missus. I believe they're having a, a child now. Um, so he just, you know, I, I was young and trying to figure out life and he just, he seemed to have it all together for me. And um, I was on the, I was on a, on a bike just before about to coach in, in the class. And I was talking to him about, um, you know, some of my experiences in a float tank. And I think I was talking about some psychedelic experiences and things as well. And I was just like, I just, you know, the words to the effect were, I just want to figure out life. I just want to find the way. And he just, said the row 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 your boat rhyme to me and it was the most it was the strangest experience but then he just kind of walked off and I, the way i remember it was just this very romantic kind of walking off into the sunset even though he was just walking to the class and i was about to coach but it was really bizarre and uh you know it took me a long time i was in bali a couple of months after that it took me a long time to kind of figure out you know whether or not he knew at the time or trying to like you know why that rhyme would be such a really good analogy for life. And uh, I suppose me using what, you know, you, that rhyme as a way to break the book up really helped me kind of 
come to that life is a dream component at the end. So I, I kind of analyzed the rhyme a little bit in the beginning of the book as well in the introduction. It's just, you know, don't go too fast. Don't go too slow. You know, we don't want to get to the end so quickly. We want to enjoy the moment at the time, but, but for God's sake, don't, don't stop rowing because you still want to, you know, build your stuff and grow at the same time. So yeah, I, I had to use that. I thought it was too, um, too cool not to put in the book. He's kind of uh, explained the, the, the middle way in Taoism um, mm. just with a beautiful row your boat rhyme. I love exactly. that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's maybe touch on each one. So what is, you know, the first section of all the first part of the book is finding your stream. What does that mean? How does someone yeah. find their stream? What does that look like? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, and I'll, I'll use my experience um, to, to talk on that. You know, we, we live in a world now where, you know, materialism and consumption and economic growth are just really, really push the social media world. And, you know, we're constantly, whether consciously or unconsciously comparing ourselves to others. Um, you know, a lot of people disagree with that. And, you know, I, I, I see that side because some people just like to scroll, you know, my partner, Siobhan, she just genuinely enjoys scrolling and loves who she follows, but we do, I just think it runs deeper than what we're consciously aware of, aware of seeing these people that are doing things, you know, sometimes worse, sometimes better all the time. So there's always that comparison, you know, and uh, so many people that seem to have made it, whatever that means, you know, for the individual. And I think finding a stream is really important, especially when you're younger. I'm, I'm turning 28 in a couple of months, so I'm still considered relatively young, you know, but especially in your twenties, I'm kind of towards the end of that now it's so important just to find your stream, you know, find, find things you're interested in and allow yourself the time to kind of go there. You know, um, I used to bounce around from passion to passion, whether it's magic cards or magic tricks or football or all sorts of things. And I look back on my childhood with, um, with such love for that, that I had the ability to do that. You know, I had a great childhood, great, a great upbringing for that, but we can get so lost in this idea of having to find our purpose that we actually forget that perhaps in our early years, finding our purpose is just finding a bunch of different things that are enjoyable. Mm. Um, so I think part one was, is just kind of a, you know, an homage to, you know, taking the time to just actually find out what you're interested in before you put all your eggs in one basket. I, I, it reminds me of a quote. I can't remember who by. It's a very old one, but it's sort of because everyone is gets a bit obsessed with like, what's what is my exact mission? I need to save the world. It's like not everyone needs to save the world, but um, yeah. I think the quote is, um, "Don't ask what the world needs. Find out what makes you come alive. Because what the world mm. needs is more people that have come alive. Mm. And that can oh, be people. Absolutely. And that and that can be doing magic tricks. That can be you know being involved in a local sports club. That can be just trying to be a great mum or dad. That can be you know whatever it is you know. But just finding mm. out what. Because you know people that have found something that has made them come alive. I mean, they're the people you can feel their energy, and it doesn't matter what that is. You know, like you know, when you speak to them, like I have a friend who just he's, he's into video games. He loves it, and he's got he's, the other areas of his life are sweet. You know, there's no <laughs> negative, there's no problem there. But when he speaks about it, man, he's lit up and he's fired up. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about because I don't play video games, but I love talking to him because I'm like he's so excited about this. You know. <laughs> And I think, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's what people need to, to understand that your stream, yeah, your stream doesn't have to be something grand, you know, like, you know, I often talk to people, you know, whether they're struggling with addiction or mental illness. And I'm like, look, we need to, you know, address these traumas from your past and these patterns while you're in the situation you're in, then we need to find proper connection for, with yourself, but also mm -hmm. with, you know, like-minded people who are going to help raise you up. And then we want to find some mission or purpose, but it doesn't have to be something grand because people are like, Oh, do I have to open up a, a, a center like you? I'm like, fuck no. I recommend yeah. that you don't. It's really stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it rains, but also for stressful reasons. <laughs> but it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like, just, just find something that does make you come alive. You know, mm. just something, mm. something beautiful like that. And it can change throughout our life because what makes us come alive now in, in six months, one year, five years might change and that's perfectly okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, a big thing that I kept running into was that your purpose or your mission doesn't have to be your job. You know, yeah. you need a job because, you know, we live in a, in a capitalistic society and, and, and uh, you know, you need money. <laughs> that's just the way it is. So you want to develop a good relationship with money. But if you're, if you come alive through video games, amazing, find a job that you can tolerate and play your video games until your heart's content. And I, I really kept struggling with that kind of 
entrepreneurial need to find a mission and by helping other people, you know, and that kind of uh, blocked me for a long time because it doesn't have to be that way. No, no, no. There's, there's many different paths. So now we go to row your boat. How do I row my boat? Do you two oars, yes. one oars? What do I go for? Can I get a motor? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can get a motor. Yeah, yeah. Probably cheating, but uh, we'll get you a motor. <laughs> no, look, row your boat, uh, row your boat. Pretty, pretty self-explanatory, but uh, it was um, just kind of providing a pathway for people that once they have found something they're interested in, you know, giving it a real crack. And um, when I first started – there's nothing about jujitsu in this book, but uh, I'll use it as an example. When I started doing jujitsu, I told myself that I, I ha- if I'm going to buy the gi, it's $170 because I had to buy other things as well. So if I'm going to make this financial commitment, I have to do jujitsu for at least six months, three times a week to really find out if, uh, you know, if this is something that I could build and cultivate and, and be a part of because I think uh, there's another shitty idea with finding your passion, you know, it's like finding the one in a relationship that as soon as there's any negativity there, you start questioning, well, is this my passion or is she the one or is he the one, you know, because we're not able to deal with, you know, it's all, it's all sunshine and rainbows, you know, and that's obviously not the case. So finding, you know, rowing your boat was that idea of, you know, recognizing obstacles as, as just, they don't, they don't even have to be obstacles. They can just be all part and parcel of whatever you're doing. And it's not passion all the time. What, you know, it, that could be in the beginning, could be a little bit of a spark, but you really grow when you're able to push through the dirt and the shit, you know, that's how you develop a meaningful relationship. That's how you really, really get good at whatever you're doing. So, uh, you know, these are all, you know, for, they sound kind of obvious, but I really needed that practical, um, that, that practical approach to all this kind of stuff. So I was writing that part of the book uh, in association with some of the psychology books that I was reading at the time, but yeah, they can be, um, they can be, um, used for, for all sorts of things. So, but even, yeah, that language, it's, it's people unconsciously use that language so much of I'm trying to find the one. And so we Mm. can talk about it in terms of jujitsu and stuff, but think about it in like relationship, what does that mean? Like I'm, I'm trying to find the one. It means I'm trying to find the one that will make me happy. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to yes. find the one that will make me okay. And that is just a recipe for disaster because it's like, mm-hmm. imagine just handing the keys to your happiness over to another person. <laughs> There's a beautiful story in, um, I believe it's The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz, which is the, my favorite of his books, beautiful author. And um, he speaks about this. There's two people who are whole and they come together and decide to share the experience of life together and then at some point he hands her I can't remember whether it's it's some sort of stone or rock but it is he puts the his happiness in her hands and she just drops it and because mm. it's the, the pressure and the weight of that is far too much and the relationship fell apart because instead mm. of being in charge of their own happiness and their own love and all that they they gave the keys to someone else and so many relationships are um uh, are based on that unfortunately and unfortunately all all love songs are kind of based on that as well like i'd be i'd be nothing without you you complete me it's like fucking hell it's codependency in a song yeah. um but but, but <laughs> it resonates but Imagine a resume. love song that wasn't like that. Yeah, I'm people- the best at myself, but you're okay in my life. <laughs> That's a number one hit. <laughs> I love what my um, yeah, Michael Singer says. You know, his his is the path of surrender, which is just letting letting life be and letting go. And you know, he, he says that someone in one of his his seminar or classes or whatever just said. But, but what if my wife wants to leave? He goes, then you help her pack. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's no problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, it's um, not, nothing's a problem unless we make it a problem. And so I think, mm. yeah, if we move from relationship to things, then it's like, you know, yeah, jujitsu is the one, you know, I'm doing Muay Thai at the minute. Muay Thai is the one. What does that mean? It's like the things that's going to make me happy. But, you know, we got to, I think this, this alludes to an illusion of trying to be happy all the time. But how, how mm. is jujitsu going, by the way? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm finding it very hard not to, uh, you know, think of it as the one cause I'm loving it so much, <laughs> it's, it's tough, but I'm trying but that's what to, happens when, when you didn't give it the, the weight and the pressure of being the one to start with, it becomes so much more enjoyable now because you haven't given it that pressure. Oh man. It's so true. It's so true. You know, I, like I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm writing a real, uh, wave of obsession right now, yeah. you know, and, and my work schedule is, um, is, you know, it's pretty much on me so I can kind of go to you know, the classes that I want to go to and all that kind of thing. So 
it's really good. And I'm going, um, you know, fairly frequently and really loving it, but I'm, I'm, I'm also trying to recognize, uh, that, you know, if, if it drops off, you know, and I'm going, you know, instead of five times a week, I'm going maybe four or three, but you know, that's okay as well. And I think I, that that's, that's really good development de- development for me because when I was playing football and, and doing all sorts of other things, even when I was writing, like last year I was writing five to six hours every day and it became, I became a dick to be around, you know, Siobhan can testify to this. It was, I was waking up at 4am you know, I was having my coffee and I was writing till eight, nine. And then I went back again in the afternoon. I just had to write. And I'm, you know, it, that, it's not sustainable. And I probably wasn't doing my best writing either, you know, so wasn't good on, on, on either side, but yeah, that try trying to be aware of, okay, you know, I'm really involved in this right now and I'm really enjoying it, but don't neglect anything else because that might, you know, it might be like that for the rest of my life. And, you know, if that's the way that I'm supposed to go, then fine. But you know, putting all your eggs in one basket can also be sometimes a recipe, pardon the pun, or disaster. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to uh, yeah, have, a, have a roll. Um, yes. I, I haven't done jujitsu, but I'm doing Muay Thai at the minute and the plan mm. is to get to a, a certain level. I'm not sure what level that is. Um, I've already declared myself the uh, world champion of Thailand but- because no one else is in my weight category here. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Dude, that's a fair claim. That's a fair claim. I asked my teacher, I'm like, what, what do the weights go up to? He goes, oh, biggest, maybe, you know, 85 kilo. I'm like, great. I'm, I'm in my own weight category. What a baby. Do you yeah. ever want to you give it a crack? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm starting um, my, yeah, my teacher said we'll, we'll start proper sparring next week. I go this afternoon. So then from next week, I'm doing twice a week. We're going to start some, some sparring. And um, yeah, we'll just, we'll see how that goes, but you know, it's, it's, I like, it's just, I love the, the learning process, you know, mm-hmm. like I um, was doing it here. We moved to Chiang Mai. I was doing it in Chiang Mai, but then um, the second month we moved and there was no way near. So I, I didn't do it for a month. And then we came back here and first lesson back, it was so interesting. It's like the body had integrated a lot of the knowledge because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be rusty. Haven't done it for a month. Then also, oh, I'm blocking a kick. I'm blocking that kick. And I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. Like the body's kind of learned, you know, and that, that progression, you know, is very exciting. And I'm sure you're finding the same in, in in jujitsu. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just great to be a beginner and not know what you're doing. That humility that you get from it, you know, is is just so cool. And, um, and I would also add, I think as well, that there's something primitive about learning to fight. You know, I'm, I'm not a particularly aggressive person. My, my kind of development, you know, was, was more around fear and anxiety, not, not anger issues, you know? Um, and I would never want to get into a fight or anything, but just having that self-confidence that, if worse came to worse, there, there, there is something there. It, it does give you a bit of confidence as well. And also understanding the extremities of your own body and understanding other people's bodies and things. It's yeah. Muay Thai is amazing. We do a bit of Muay Thai down at the gym. Um, Jiu-Jitsu is amazing. Just, yeah, that kind of MMA stuff is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter, but I just, mm. I just find that, and it is an art form, just learning a new art form mm. is really, really beautiful. And mm. the other saying is, uh, I'm all about the quotes today, um, yeah. but it's it's, uh, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've, ne- I've never been in a bloody fight in my life. Like yes. I'm, not, I'm not a fighter, but I do I do enjoy um, you know learning the process and yeah. uh, and that kind of thing. Um, let's move on to life's a dream. Oh, this is it sounds like a beautiful part, Tom. We yes. found our stream. We're rolling our boat. What does that mean? It's all just smooth sailing yeah. now. Yeah. Also, yeah. Done. Done. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose life's a dream was a way for me to package that, and it wasn't. You know, it wasn't. Uh, well, if I just do this and then I do this, then I'm sorted for the rest of my life. You know, because life is always a journey, and there's always going to be ups and downs. But I was trying to, you know, package a way of understanding. You know like what's going to move me through the ups and downs? How am I going to enjoy that? You know, so I was looking into, um, you know, opposites, yin and yang, um, uh, structure and flow, you know, things like that, because it's not always just a flow. You actually have to create a container around what you're doing. A very practical example of that is if I want to sit down and write and just be creative, you know, being creative is, is a, is a flow. But if I don't, you know, for perhaps for me in my work schedule, I have to get up early and set a time between six and eight to be creative. I won't have that opportunity to begin with. So 
I was kind of toying with these ideas as well. And then this is, this is the part of the book when I get into a lot of what Ram Dust was talking about and, you know, all these kinds of things, because there's just so much wisdom in, in that guy's life and, 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 and his teachings, you know, as an example for, for how to live. And he never, you know, at least in the way I've interpreted his, his work, he never said that this is how you live life. You know, he always said that, you know, this kind of, work and the, the, the way to see the world as love, you know, takes, takes time and energy and you, you have to create boundaries, you know, you have to move through the ups and downs. So, you know, in, in summary, to come back to that, that analogy of heading down the stream, you know, that how, how do we, how do we allow ourselves to manage the, 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 the tree in the way on the river or perhaps the river not flowing as fast as you'd like it, you know, how do we manage all that? And that kind of, that, that part of the book was, was, was kind of answering that question. So right. it's, it's kind of what you said as well, you know, that, that middle way in Taoism and Buddhism, you know, the middle way, how, how do we find a way to, to, to move through that? And I kind of, you know, in a, in a, in a manner of speaking, sought it to be a balance of social responsibility. So doing something that's good for other people, but that you to begin with, enjoy and, 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 and time flies like there's no time at all to begin with. And then that can be something for other people as well. So yeah, part three, life's a dream. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know the, the dream doesn't mean that it's all smooth sailing. Like you said, there's going to be, there's obstacles on the way. There's no, you know, there's no place that we get to where everything just becomes easy. I mean, that's not part of mm. the human experience. Unfortunately, people have this idea in their head, like, I just want all the, all the problems to stop us and all the problems in my life to stop. It's like, okay, it'll happen when you die. Yeah, <laughs> in between then, you're just going to have different problems, you know, or some yeah. people have the same problems over and over again. And um, I think it's a beautiful flow to the book to, um, to, to put it that way. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about as well. There's, a, I think, a chapter in the book, The, the Death and the Rebirth of the Ego. Yeah, that was a, that, that was a deep your, one. Yeah, yeah no, that's why I want to get, get your thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, just, just the, that final part about what you said there as well, you're exactly right. You know, by the end of the book, you know, life, you, you don't ever want life to be a dream. You know, but the, the, what I was trying to answer was, I was trying to, in the very beginning, I made a, I tried to make a really good um, argument for nihilism because that's kind of where I was at. You know, I was existentially struggling and then I was really starting to struggle with like, what the hell is the point of all this? You know? So I was looking into um, a fair world of arms by Ernest Hemingway. who's a brilliant writer and who spoke about these issues. I looked into um, the Columbine high school shooters in, in chapter three about why people would be just, you know, motivated to just kill everyone and then kill themselves. So life's a dream. Really, if I wasn't using the analogy, uh, dream would be replaced for worthwhile, you know, so that, that meaning idea can kind of provide an antidote to the uh, inevitable suffering that we all go through, you know, because if we're going to die at the end, why the hell carry my cross? Why the hell pick up this rock? Why the hell look after you or, or, or you know, or not swear and not burn up the village? Um, because I'm going to die and so are you. So what's the fucking point? And I was really struggling with that, that notion. So I've struggled, I've struggled with the exact same thing, Tom. Yeah. You dive yeah. down the rabbit hole and realize that nothing really matters. And so it's like, with what energy do I have? And I think at first it's very nihilistic, like nothing matters. You mm. fuck. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, Oh, nothing matters. Nothing <laughs> cool. matters. You know, cause exactly. you're like, Oh fuck. We're, the universe been around for 13.8 billion years. I'm going to be here for about 80 of it. Actually, yes. what I do really has no impact on anything. Um, yes. You know, then how do I yeah, existentially deal with that? How do I find meaning in my life? Like, how do I, do I just sit on the couch and do nothing? Do I go and mm. yeah, shoot up a school and then shoot myself? Or do I try and create something beautiful? And that's mm. well, a lot of people wrestle with that who go down this path. It's such a tough one. And, and you know, the tough thing about it is that the nihilistic argument's a pretty good one. <laughs> it's a pretty I know. Good argument. I, when I dive down, I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm feeling and makes complete sense. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and it's uh it's so funny. Like there's so much irony in 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 my experience, you know, writing this book. I was really struggling with that idea of nihilism, you know. So what's the point of all this? Yada yada yada. <laughs> I'd write and I'd read. And after, and at the end of the day, I'd be like, man, that was a good day. But 
life is still pointless. <laughs> so I'm looking at, so I'm looking back at the end of this and I'm going, okay, I figured it out. Life is essentially pointless. And by what I mean by that is there's no inherent meaning to life, you know? So how can I spend my time in such a way that by the end of it, I go, yeah, that was a fun ride. So that's kind of the journey, you know? Um, but man, that nihilism argument is uh, is a good one. But your your question, the um, birth, death, and resurrection of the ego. These are these are three chapters in in part two of the book, and the whole book uh, is is a is a response to understanding identity and the malleability of identity. And I used an example in the book of a a, a wife. So self-identified as a wife uh, who found out that she was uh, she was being cheated on. So Sarah is her name. And uh, I used an example from my own experience as well. When a friend of mine found out that he, he had been cheated on, she actually told him uh, at the, at the house that we were at. And I remember that, that moment so well. And I had to write about that because I think there was some emotional distress in that experience for me and him obviously as well, but trying to give an example as to how identity can change at the flick of a switch and, and how difficult it is to, to not only wade the water between Island to Island or identity, identity, um, to begin with, if that's our own decision, let alone if someone takes our identity from us. And when you have been happily married for 20 years, uh, you know, you, you, you love your children, you, you genuinely think that life is good. And then you find out that your husband has been cheating on you. And then all of a sudden the questions start to fly. What was he doing last summer? You know, how was this real for him? What about the kids? You know, your identity starts to crumble and crumble and crumble and something you weren't expecting and didn't want either how hard that is. And how do we build ourselves from that? What, what, what I was struggling with, you know, I haven't been cheated on, I haven't been betrayed, but I was using that as the, as the extreme example of how someone would move through that. And uh, you know, I kind of, you know, used the anecdote to my, to my own benefit to help with that. And, but, you know, and, and there's a positive to come out of that story. So it's not all just, you know, doom and gloom, but you know, she was able to eventually um, you know, become conscious of things that she was actually, you know, perhaps disregarding or didn't want to be conscious of little things. You know, she, he was in the story, her husband was cheating with her best friend. So there was a couple of times where she kind of just looked away and all this, but from that, she was uh, uh, able to uh, develop her own individuality and become a little bit more strong and, and find someone who was actually worthy of the love that she could give uh, not just to herself, but to other people as well. So, you know, a, a story like that, but uh, moving through those, 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 um, those chapters, the birth, death and resurrection of the ego, I use those words very, very, uh, very much on purpose because then I start talking about the birth, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a symbol for an ego transformation, as opposed to someone who literally died and then was reborn. So there's a whole lot of psychological interpretation of some of the religious stories in this book. Uh, you know, it's so funny I love, I love Alan Watts because every time I'll be tr struggling with a question for months and months and months, he's able to answer the question in a sentence. And I was reading all that stuff. And then I came across psychotherapy East and West and he just wrote, who is constant behavior? And I was like, Oh yeah, who is constant behavior? Identity is just what we do all the time. So if you don't like who you are, change what you do. And over time you'll become a different person. But obviously I had to go through the mud and figure all that out the long way. <laughs> Well, it's easier said than done too, you know, because these patterns can be around for decades, you know, yes. and, they're, and they're very, very unconscious. And I think it is, a lot of these issues come down to a real identification with the ego and the identification mm. of these patterns. You know, that's, that's sort of, you know, for my own story, when my marriage broke down, that was a challenge to my ego because my ego believed that would never happen. My ego had mm. a belief that, you know, we would be together forever till the end. And all of a sudden that just gets shattered. And, you know, I, I didn't have the tools to be able to deal with it then. And that's when I went to, into full-blown drug addiction. And, yes. you know, we, you know the, the thing is with life, there's, a, there's always change. You know, we can't avoid change. It's part of the, the laws of the universe. Yeah, those human beings, when we identify with the ego, we become very resistant to change because the ego likes certainty. 
Ego mm-hmm. likes to know, like, yes, I've got this set up for my breakfast in the morning and this is going to happen at 10 a.m. and blah, 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 blah. And it just, it, it wants to be right, I suppose, is one of its its main functions. And, and when one of its core beliefs starts to be made to be wrong, it has a real problem with that. But, I mean, if we, if we start to not identify there, we can – and this is when you're stuck into more maybe spiritual teachings, if you want to even call it that, but just maybe not identifying with this structure that always wants to be right because change is, change is happening. You know, we find or to a lesser extent, you're talking about, you know, the ending of a marriage or that kind of thing. And I see a lot with clients, whether it be, you know, empty nest when, you know, the, the, that, that ego identity structure, one of the main branches of that was as a mother and I'm in service mm. to these kids. Um, and then they leave home and it's like, who the fuck am I? Yeah. Start drinking wine every day. <laughs> or it's like uh, a lot of men I've worked with, it's been work and they get to retirement age. You know, and all of a sudden they realize this identity structure was based so much on work, especially if they've been doing like, you know, it's different nowadays for us. We tend to move between jobs and different things. But for like, you know, our parents and those older generations, you could be doing the same role for 40 or 50 years. And then all of a sudden it's like we're working towards retirement and we get there and we're like, oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> what do I do now and who am I, you know? And, and a lot of people use work to maybe push down these underlying gnawing feelings of anxiety or depression and that kind of thing. And it all comes from the same root that we're getting at, which is this really strong identification with the, uh, the ideas of who we are as a human being. And that's all, that's all the ego is. It's just an idea of who we are. Yeah, it, it totally is. You know, there was so much of that um, and still is, you know, through the whole COVID uh, experience because, you know, jobs are, uh, are being lost, businesses are closing, people are having to spend more time at home. So, you know, that whole kind of existential angst of who am I? Because I'm not, I'm not in this unconscious habit and routine program anymore. So I have to really kind of think, you know, but um, people will say, end, people will say like, fuck, I work too much. I wish I had more time to myself at home. And then this happened. And they're like, I wish I was back at work. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. The grass is always greener, man. It's that's not blue. There are certain cliches that are just, cliche for a reason you know yeah it's good what's it's the good. one that, that the grass looks greener on the other side because it's fake grass yeah <laughs> exactly. you know which which exactly. which is which is social media you yes. know it's like we're, yeah. we're we're looking at these people their highlight reel with filters on and you know at a beach i was literally we were having dinner at a, a beach here last night and these two girls you know walked down wearing not too much I wasn't complaining and um, they walked down and, but literally for half an hour, they did nothing but take pictures of each other and then left the beach. And and this is like one of the most beautiful beaches on Koh Samui. And, um, and then they left and I'm like, all right, you got your pictures for Instagram. You didn't actually experience the beach one bit, <laughs> but this is what we do. And then, and then some, you know, some girl, some woman is sitting at home, you know, with, you know, moccasins wearing their tracksuit pants, eating a packet of chips and they see that and they just shame themselves incredibly, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, um, you know, I think there's a bit of a pushback on that now, you know, I, do you see that a bit of a pushback on the, I the think so. Yeah. Stuff? I think it's important. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great, pushback you know and now almost what's becoming cool is is talking about the other side you know there, there's a there's a really cool um the really cool chick i followed that siobhan got me onto and she she's an incredible content creator i can't remember the name man it's gonna kill me now um but uh she she basically creates content and you see the initial photo or the video and it looks awesome you know she looks amazing the the, the lighting is amazing but if you swipe right it shows how she made it so she's, she's doing these kind of funny little poses and that, you know, it doesn't look cool at all. So just that, you know, you don't need much, but just that little hint of authenticity really goes a long way. So even if those girls put that photo up and said, you know, we hardly spent any time at the beach, but we got it for the gram lol or something like that, you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's enough. It's enough. Yeah. I was, I always watched, like you said, you made the comment earlier, you know, we're just, you know, monkeys who wear shoes. Yeah. And um, I often see us as that and I watch human, especially my own more than anyone else's, uh, just our behavior is how, how silly it is. And mm-hmm. I was watching these girls at the beach and as one's trying to get the photo, the one getting the photo, he's going, wait, 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 yeah. wait. And she's trying to get her leg like there's some, must be some angle that the leg's meant to be on that <laughs> is most appealing. It's like, wait, wait, wait. 
now, now, now. <laughs> they just kept happening. And I'm like, this is so funny. Because I, I just see these, all of these humans as monkeys. And I'm like, with these devices in their hand. And I'm like, man, this is, well, what are we doing? <laughs> well, we're not that far different, are we? I know. It's hilarious. Some of the stuff, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll look back on social media in 5, 10, 15 years, as we already do, and go, why was I writing that? Why was I putting that up? You know, every now and then a memory will come up on my social media. I'm like, who the hell was this guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just bizarre. But that's, that's the world we live in, isn't it? Well, that's a sign of growth, isn't it? That's a sign of growth. Okay. You know, that's why, you know, what do they say? You, if you're not embarrassed by some, something you did a few years ago, then you haven't been growing. And I'm sure, you know, things that you were writing five years ago, you would look at now and go, oh, God, I don't know about that. And that doesn't mean that it was bad. It just means that you've evolved to a point where, you know, your writing's in a different place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even in my first book, there are parts that I wouldn't write now. You know, that's the yeah. second edition of the of the first book because I look back and I was like, man, do I need to say the F word every second word? Do I need to? There was a whole part on like following your passion, which I obviously don't agree with anymore. So you have to cop that. And even as a society, you know, what we're doing 50, 60 years ago, we look back and, and laugh, you know, it's just like, oh, women were too emotional to, to, to have a job. It's like, that's a funny thing to think of now. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm archiving a lot of footage um, for my job at the moment and having a look at some of the ideas that were around 60 years ago, that's a sign of growth. But we also have to be able to look back on that with it, with a, with a, with a, with a sense of separation, because if we're judging the present based upon the past, we're never going to be able to grow, you know? So if yeah. we can recognize that, hang on, it's all good. You know, we can separate ourselves There's a bit of joke there, you know, um, we'll, we'll be better for it, you know? Yeah. But we tend to think that we look back on the past and go, Oh, that was so stupid, what we were doing, but we don't have the foresight to think what are the things that we're doing now that are going to be yes. really stupid moving forward. You know, it's like, it reminds me of the guy who um, found germ theory because um, all these babies who were being delivered were dying, like a whole heap of them um, during the birthing process. And this guy's like, I wonder if there's these invisible things on the doctors. because doctors wouldn't wash their hands and they would yeah. deliver these babies and these babies kept dying a few days or a few weeks later. And he said, what if we start, you know, we need to really wash our hands and use this specific soap and everything um, that will help. Um, and he turned out to be 100% correct and babies stopped dying. However, at the time, he was called an idiot, a fool. What? There's invisible things on our hands. He was actually mm. shunned out of the industry and died deeply depressed and alone. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> These are the kind of things that we would have thought that, but it's like, you're right. Like without kind of modern technology, you would think there's these invisible things on our hands that we can't see that are causing us. That sounds insane. Yeah. It does. All the other doctors are like, ah, he's gone crazy. He's lost yeah. the plot. He's lost All the right, plot. Yeah, righto, mate. And and he was, yeah. he was made fun of and ended up being uh, out of the industry. So it's important, I think, think of those things that we're, that we're doing now, you know, things like, now I'm not, I'm not vegetarian or vegan. I fucking love meat, but um, yeah. I think things like factory farming and that mm. kind of thing, like fast forward 50 years, we'll look back on that and go, what the hell were we doing to these animals? Like, 100%. you know. Dude, I hope we look back on something like chemo and go, what were we doing? We were killing the whole body just so we could kill the cancer and then hope that the body would regrow. Hopefully in 200 years time, that's as crazy as leeches on the skin or, you know, some of the weird things that alchemists were doing. Although I like the idea behind alchemy, but yeah, yeah. everything's got a weird side. <laughs> what was another one I read? It was the a famous king i think it was and they thought that the idea was if you were sick you would, you would drain a certain percentage of their blood and it was meant to be good and then this famous yeah. king yeah died because they just fucking bled him out basically yeah. <laughs> oh god it's amazing he just didn't have any blood anymore <laughs> it's all good one more day one more day the blood's the problem we'll get rid of the blood oh the blood actually keeps him alive um, I the blood. <laughs> yeah, blood. Uh, so tom who is this book for who have, you, who have you written this book for? What kind of what kind of person you know should be picking this up? Yeah, I think uh, so. For people who are who who don't have a good relationship with religion um, and who are also trying to find themselves, um, so young adults specifically, you know, I, I kind of tailor it towards people in their twenties. Um, you know, they're recognizing a lot of a lot of these institutions that they've inherited. Um, you know, perhaps aren't serving one part or, or all of them. Uh, you know, the religion thing for me, as, as I said before, you know, 
really becoming a hardline atheist um, and then kind of moving back into it. I actually start um, either the introduction or chapter one. I think it was chapter one. Uh, oh, it could have been the introduction. I should know this. It was in the introduction. <laughs> yeah, in the introduction, right. Um, with, a, with a big paragraph, a big chunk from my first book about you know what I wrote and what I thought of religion and, and spirituality, I suppose, at the time. I wanted to look upon religion with a more mature um, perspective because, you know, there were just so many people that have gained so much from it. And for me as a young adult, just to go, Oh, it's all bullshit. You know, I've read a couple of books on atheism. I know better than you. I just, I just really didn't like that. And I really wanted to evolve out of that. I think it was a, a good thing that I did because it's very unfair. And I uh, can't remember if it was Kierkegaard or, or, or Kant, but it was a philosopher from, you know, from centuries ago who said, you know, something on the lines of religion is far too important for, for people to just throw it all out. You know, it's, it's, it's so significant, you know, so what's it doing? Like what, what are some of the things in, from a secular perspective, you know, what is it really doing? And these ideas around community and meaning and, uh, and a sense of self and a mission, you know, all these things are so good. Um, and, you know, human beings and institutions and power and tyranny, they are the, 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 the things that, that really ruin it, you know, um, as well as the inability for it to grow. Um, so yeah, for people that are kind of struggling with religion, um, ideology, um, and also kind of want to find out where they are and how they fit in the world. Um, it's kind of, you know, where I was and it's a, it's a, it's an homage to, to that. I love it, mate. I love it. Fantastic. And yeah, I tend to think that, you know, just thinking about my own life and I tend to just kind of separate religion and then spirituality and science and they all kind of intermingle. Mm. And I kind of think that, you know, spirituality is just stuff that we can't explain yet through science. And there's things that are very scientific now that would have been seen as spiritual or woo-woo a long time ago. Like mm. quantum physics is a field of, of science. Yet if you try and explain quantum physics, you'd be like, that's, that's, woo-woo. that's really spiritual rubbish. <laughs> that is, you know, kind of thing. And I find myself, I have a very, based on my programming and upbringing, a very analytical scientific brain and i find myself going a bit hard down that way and oftentimes i just have to stop myself and ask myself when am i happier and the thing mm. is when i look life through a lens of i don't know or more of a spiritual life of or you know i don't know pretty much everything in the universe as opposed to i know i know i know through science when i have that i don't know i just find i'm happier as a human Hmm. So I have to try and catch myself and say, you know, what, what makes me happier as a human? What lens do I look through? So I try and yeah. find that balance, which it sounds like you've found and, and, and it's been your journey from your first book to the second book. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I encourage everybody who Tom has just described, which you've described pretty much most human beings on the planet, who would it be good for? <laughs> Everyone with a, with a tooth, uh, you know, I've <laughs> wrote that for you guys, <laughs> the niche. It's so, it's micro niched. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not for dogs. It's not for cats or birds. It's for human beings. Right. I wanted to go down a really specific route here, you know. <laughs> No, but I um I I really want anyone listening who this has resonated with to get the book. But you never left exploration of the inner world and a reconciliation of the self. Uh, I really appreciate Tom all the the tireless research and the work that you've put into this book. Um, I was really excited today to you know find out more about you because one of the things that I really admire about you, Tom, is that whether you're speaking with me or I've noticed whenever you're speaking with anyone else. Like we're starting jujitsu, even though you're a very deep thinker when it comes to philosophy and mental health and all of the human experience, when you talk to someone, I can tell you automatically go into a white belt mentality, which means you want to learn from everybody. And, and this is something that, that not many people do because as human beings, you fall into the trap where we need to you know, feel like we know everything. And so I just want to say, I really respect you for that. And that is why this book is so bloody amazing is because you actually have a learner's mindset as opposed to I know everything mindset. And um, yeah, I just want to commend you for that. Yeah. Oh, mate. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. It's awesome. It's uh, yeah, it's very, very humbling, very humbling. <laughs> I feel, you know, it's just funny. Mel, um, Mel said this on my show. We did a podcast. I um, spoke to her about uh, her book and, you know, and you know, some of the stuff that I've learned from you guys and just befriending you guys. And she was like, you know, I just feel like I've done a lot of work on myself, but uh, responding to a compliment is still really difficult. Yeah. I'm, I'm really resonating with that now as well. 
It was, it just came from the heart, man. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> receive it, receive, receive it completely. Yeah. 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 That's one thing I've tried to learn to say is uh, whenever I get a compliment to say, I receive that because we're, yeah. when, we're, when we're not used to it, we try and throw the compliment back. It's yes. like, you look really good today. No, but you look really good today. It's like, <laughs> just take the fucking compliment, Tom. All right. Take it. <laughs> no, thank you, mate. Thank you so much. But you do look really good today. I do. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm an eight. I'm an eight. <laughs> um, where can people get the book? Yeah. So uh, it's on, it's on everywhere. People get their books. Most people get their books from Amazon, I believe uh, if I could be so flippant, uh, but it's on Amazon by Kindle or paperback form. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's on audible, but I don't think you can actually download and listen to it yet. I think it's a little bit slower, like I said in the beginning. So, uh, look out for it on, on, uh, on audible or any other digital platforms. Um, but it's basically anywhere if you look it up, but you never left, uh, you'll be able to get it. So awesome, mate. And where can people connect with you? Yeah, just, uh, anywhere you can type in, uh, Tom Ahern. That's my name. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram and, uh, and Facebook, Although apparently LinkedIn is starting to kick off a little bit now. Is so, it? uh, yeah, apparently, apparently the engagement's there, but I actually really like YouTube. I like putting out vlogs and stuff on YouTube. So I, I try to talk about a lot of the concepts in my work, uh, in my books, um, on YouTube. So Tom Ahern on YouTube and, um, I, I have a lot of fun there. Awesome. Everyone check that out. Check Tom out on all those channels, get the book, have a read, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'll see you all next week. I've had so much fun without Nick as well. It's great not hearing him bang on for a week. Um, no, I love you, Nicky. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, mate. It was a pleasure. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.